I want to begin by asking you a question that's going to be a personal question. In fact, it might even be a little probing and feel a little uncomfortable to consider the answer to. But I think it's one of those uncomfortable questions that in the end is a good thing. So let's answer this to ourselves. Have you ever felt as if God has forgotten you? Have you ever gotten to the point in your life, and maybe you're there right now because of something you're going through, something you're facing, something you're feeling, where you felt as though God had turned his back on you? Maybe you feel God is just looking the other way, paying attention to other people, ignoring your prayers. That somehow God has abandoned you, forsaken you. You fill in the blank. Some of you may be like, well, yeah, that, that's why I walked away from the church. That's why for many years I just kind of left it all because I had things going on in my life that just didn't add up. And I prayed and I prayed and I tried and I tried and just things didn't, didn't seem to improve. I think that's why a lot of people that are not in the church or following God, and at one time they were, this, this has a lot to do with it. And, and maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what that feels like, and, and maybe that's what I'm experiencing right now, and I, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus, and this doesn't make sense, and I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged because it doesn't add up. I think, honestly, all of us know what this feels like. To get to the point in your life where you're like, God, where are you? Where is God? Like, why don't you do something? Why don't you intervene? Why don't you go to work on my behalf in this situation? Eventually, we're all going to know what that feels like because eventually life is going to get that tough for all of us, even for someone like Jesus. Last week, we started this series, Words of a Dying Man, where we're looking at the last words of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and understanding what those words teach us about him and help us see about ourselves in relationship to God. And what we're going to see today specifically, whereas last week we talked about how his last words help us see him as human, that he is God in flesh and bone, 100% God and 100% man, fully God yet fully man, and we identify with his humanity and he identifies with our humanity. Today, we're going to take it one step further and we're going to look at Jesus as son as son of God, relating to his heavenly father, and then in many ways, help us as we relate to our need for our heavenly father. And in doing so, we need to step into another one of the great mysteries. Another one of the great mysteries of God. Last week, we talked about the great mystery, how that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Well, here's another mystery that for thousands of years has been debated and talked about, and yet to this day, we can't fully comprehend. It's the fact that God is Father, God is Son, and we see it through Jesus, and God is Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. It's called the Trinity. 
The word Trinity is maybe something you've heard in church circles or um, in a context like this. But the word Trinity never appears in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The word itself, Trinity, is not in the Bible. Yet the concept and the reality of the Trinity is everywhere throughout the Scriptures, from beginning to end, all throughout it. Now I can show you place and place and place, time and time again, where you see God, Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that there are three gods. No, there's one God. And this doesn't mean that God has three different personalities. No, there's medication for that. What it means is that God is one, but he operates in three different functions. He operates as Father, as we will talk about today. He operates as Son in the world, seen through Jesus Christ. And God functions also as Spirit, as Holy Spirit within the hearts and lives of those who trust and follow him. And so, man, can you explain that to me? I just did. See? How does that happen? How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those mysteries of God. Beautiful mystery of relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, years ago and for many years, I really struggled with things that were mysterious when it came to God. Because I, I was a student, seminary. Um, I, I understood, I, I was a good student, had degrees in systematic theology. Systematic theology is all about understanding who God is, and there's a system to it. There's an outline, and there's points, and there's one, and there's A, and then there's subpoints, and you can pretty much, and we know God is beyond us, but yet we have a pretty good answer for just about any question you want to ask. That's systematic theology. It's well-intended. But I began through the years to learn it's coming up short. It's coming up short. Because God is bigger than a system. God's not fitting into the system. And I was constantly interacting with life and interacting with people and doing ministry and learning more about God going, this doesn't fit the system. The system doesn't have an answer for this. I don't have an outline for this. What's up with this? And realizing there's more and more mystery when it comes to God than I ever thought before. And I used to have a problem with mystery, but I'm learning to get comfortable in the mystery. I'm learning to get comfortable with the things I don't know, with the things I can't fully explain, the things I can't fully understand. After all, wouldn't we want a God like that, though? Wouldn't we want a God that's so big we can't fully contain him or understand him? Or would you rather have a God that you can fit in your back pocket? No, I would much rather know that my God is much bigger than anything I can imagine, even though often it's frustrating when I got questions. So we're going to step into this mystery, this mystery of God the Father and God the Son through Jesus relating to his heavenly Father. And by doing this, I want us to step into the moment where Jesus said something on the cross that is so misunderstood and so misinterpreted. And for many years, I misunderstood it. Didn't mean to. I just knew what I knew and didn't, it just didn't quite add up. But I think I have come to the point in the last handful of years where I see this, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes in a, in a completely different light in a way that to me makes a lot of sense about the things that never made sense. Not that everything has to make sense because God is eventually going to be mysterious to us. We won't know everything and that's okay. But what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, I think, is going to make the light come on in 
on something that has often been very confusing. When Jesus was hanging on the cross as the Son of God, about three in the afternoon that day, as Jesus was dying, he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why I asked you that question at the beginning. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, when I consider this and I read this, something just horribly doesn't add up. For years and years, I was just like, this doesn't, this, this doesn't add up. Did God forsake Jesus? Is it true that, that God turned his back, that he abandoned his one and only son that he loved so much? What's up with that? I was given a couple of different explanations that for a few years seemed to satisfy my longing to understand this, but eventually came up short. Maybe you can identify with some of these explanations. The first explanation is, well, yes, God did turn his back on his son because of sin, and God cannot look on sin. And Jesus was containing in himself somehow, and again, in a mystery kind of way, he was bringing onto himself and holding into himself and pulling up into himself the sin of the world, and that is true. But God can't look on sin, so he had to look away and just kind of leave his son even in his son's time of need. For years, I, I, I would hear that and I would wrestle with that and I'm just like, ah, I hear you. There's something about that though. And then it dawned on me one day, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. God can look on sin because he does all the time. He looks at us. He, he's involved in my life. He's involved in your life. God does work with human beings that are racked with sinfulness. So that explanation doesn't pan out. The other explanation that was a little bit more something that was a sticking point for me for many years was that, well, see, God turned his back on Jesus because God was taking his wrath out on Jesus. God's wrath on sin, he was taking out on his son. That God was so upset, so mad. He had taken all he could take and he couldn't take anymore. And somebody had to die, somebody had to pay. So he decided to take it out on his son. And that Jesus got in the way between us and an angry God on the cross. Now for many years, even though that whew, was hard to stomach, that satisfied my my thoughts there, and then I begin to realize, wait a second, wait a second. At the cross, we don't see the picture of an angry God. On the cross, you don't see a picture of a God that's mad, that's just ticked off, that's out for blood. No, at the cross, you see a God that is brokenhearted. You see a God of love who stretched his arms out in self-sacrificing love. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, that on the cross, God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. It's not the, doesn't sound like an angry God. It doesn't sound like a God that's ticked off. It sounds like a God that is self-sacrificing in his love. So that didn't make sense. Besides, I mean, what, what, 
what father, what father, loving father would do that to their one and only child, right? So I, I, I've come to understand this differently in a way that I think makes a whole lot more sense. Not that everything has to make sense to me because God is mystery in many ways. We don't fully understand and know everything. But this, I think, helps me understand. Maybe it'll help you. As God the Son was relating to God the Father. When Jesus said, my God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was expressing what he was literally feeling and he was quoting Psalm 22. He was quoting the first part of Psalm chapter 22. Now, listen very carefully. Let me try to summarize this as quickly as I can. The Psalms, remember were songs that were sung in worship of God. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, is a book of music. And so Psalm 22 was a song, and Jesus was quoting the first lyrics of that song because it's what he felt. He was identifying with it. He was not making a statement about who God was. He was just saying, this is how I feel. And he was quoting Psalm 22. He didn't quote all of it. He just partially quoted it, just the first part. It's a long psalm. It's a long song. He just quoted the first part because he was weak. He was dying. He could barely breathe. He was literally wasting away on the cross. And so he just quoted one line. Hey, we do this all the time, don't we? Think about it. We, we get the, a song in our head and we get one line or the hook or, or just a part of the song because it identifies with the moment that we're feeling in the moment and we sing it and we say it over and over again. And we don't sing the whole song, even though we know the whole song, we understand the whole song, we like the whole song. We just go, don't stop believing, right? And you're, that's why we do it. You, and you stop right there. You don't, you don't even go, right, any further. Because just you're, you're having this feeling, right? You're just, it identifies with the moment that you feel. Or if you're frustrated, just had a fight with your, somebody in your family or frustration with your neighbor, it won't mow his grass or whatever. It's, here's a quarter. It just plays in your mind, and you just stop right there, right? Or if, you got, if, you're, if you're a parent of, of young little kids, little kids, right? You're just going to work, and you don't understand at work, why you hear, do you want to build a snowman? It's just over and over again, over and over again, right? We do this. We hear these, we hear these phrases, these lines, these hooks, and we quote them. And then we don't, we don't quote the whole lyric, even though we know the whole song, most of the song, just what Jesus was doing. He was identifying with what he was feeling. He was not making a statement about God. How do we know this is true? Because of the rest of the song in Psalm 22. If you keep reading it, you understand that Psalm 22 is actually a song about trusting God, relying on his saving power, and it actually ends with a bold declaration that God is present, not absent. Let's look. Psalm 22. Had Jesus had the strength to keep quoting, had he kept singing Psalm 22 all the way to, toward the end, he would get to this part in verse 24. For he, God, has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. See, you get the whole picture here. In a moment, Jesus was identifying with what he felt. He felt isolated. He felt alone. 
because he was carrying the weight of the sin of the world, but he did so in a self-sacrificing way. And God was present in that. And God was with his son in that moment. That's why he felt so comfortable crying out to his heavenly father. God was not absent. God was present. It's so very important to understand that at the cross, in Jesus' most alone feeling time, the time when he felt most isolated, God was actually most active. Let's keep going. Because he said something else next that, to me, just drives this home even further. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. This was actually the very last thing that Jesus said before he died. Father, I entrust myself to you. I'm in your hands. You take me. Does that sound like? Sound like the words of a son to a father who had abandoned him? No. You see, Jesus felt comfortable calling out to his heavenly father because he knew that his father was present. Jesus was hurting badly enough and feeling all of the human emotions more than you and I can fathom. Everything inside of him was like, I feel so isolated and so singled out here. It's as if God has forsaken me, but I know he hasn't. So, Father, Father, here. I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. This further drives home the point. Even in the moments when God seems and feels most absent, he is very present and very much at work. In Jesus' most vulnerable moment, in Jesus' Jesus' weakest moment, his, his reaction was to call out to his heavenly father because he knew he was present. To call out to his heavenly father because he knew he would hear. When the weight of the world was on his shoulders, and literally it was the weight of the sin of the world Jesus was carrying, his go-to response was to say, Father, Hey, Dad, 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 I entrust myself to you. You ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders? Yeah, that's why we have that phrase. That's why we say it. That's why, that's why we make that comment. You ever gotten to a place where you felt so isolated and singled out? Maybe even by God himself. Well, what you need to know is what Jesus illustrates for us in his most painful vulnerable point, and it's this right here, is that your heavenly father is not far away. He is not absent. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He is close. He is close. And he simply wants you to call out to him. That's what we learn here. Is that Jesus modeled for us what he wants us to do to understand that our heavenly father is close and to call out to him. This is so simple. It's so simple, it's often overlooked. We overcomplicate this so much. We overcomplicate the Christian life so much. We overcomplicate following Jesus so much. Now listen, eventually following Jesus is going to be difficult. 
but it should never be complicated to understand. It's going to be difficult to do. Eventually, it's going to be very hard to do, but it's really simple. It's just really simple. And it begins in moments like this when life is spinning out of control and you feel so isolated and you don't know what's going on in your relationships and you can't explain the financial problems you have or the job issues you have or the health crisis that you're facing one after the other. When none of that adds up or makes sense, the most simple thing is like, oh, Father, Father, Father. It's so simple. You say, well, I, I know this, I know this. Yeah, but we often neglect it, we often forget it, we often we assume, I guess, that we can't, we shouldn't. And let me suggest one thing that I think kind of gets in the way of us, just calling out to our Heavenly Father. When we're in and experiencing times when, when we're apt to say, I think he may have forgotten me. I think one of the things that gets in the way is just, our experience with our earthly fathers have a lot to do with how we understand our heavenly father. And so calling out to a heavenly father may be challenging if your default setting for your heavenly father is your earthly father. Now, I'm not going to try to get all psychological on you, okay? I don't, I don't have that training, and, but I do know this. I do know that by nature... We understand who God is greatly influenced by how we see our parents, specifically even our father, our earthly fathers. And we just assume that dad in heaven is like dad on earth. And so if God is a heavenly father, well, my only point of reference for a father is earthly father. And so I guess... I guess that's what it means to be father then, right? Because that, that's what we know. That's what we see. And so that often can get in the way. Now, let me say this. Some of you may have awesome earthly dads. And you know he's not perfect and you know he makes mistakes, but you look at your dad and you're like, what a gift. I love my earthly father and he loved me so much. And, and you just have a great relationship with him or maybe he's passed and you look back on your earthly uh, relationship with your earthly father and go, wow, what a joy, what a gift that has been or that is still in my life. Well, good news for you. Not only do you have a great earthly dad, your heavenly dad, your heavenly father is everything your earthly dad is and infinitely more, infinitely more. So you should have a great starting point for a point of reference to want to call out to your heavenly father because you know what it's like to have an earthly father that you can call out to and say, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, can you help me? Hey, dad, I got a question. Hey, dad, I need you. Now, for others of you and maybe way too many of you, your experience with your earthly dad has been anything but positive. It's left a lot to be desired. You don't have an earthly dad that you can depend on. You don't have an earthly dad that you can call out to. Or maybe they have. Maybe he has outright just abandoned you, walked out, turned his back, ignored you, pushed you to the side, however, whatever. Maybe you don't even know who your earthly dad is. And so the idea of, of a heavenly father, just like, what? How am I supposed to do that? I don't know how this works. I don't, I don't have a point of reference. Here's what you need to know. 
Your heavenly father is everything your earthly father was not. And infinitely more. Your heavenly father is everything your earthly father should have been. And infinitely more. Your heavenly father is everything you need and everything that you long for. All of the shortcomings of your earthly dad are met and infinitely more in your heavenly father. So call out to him. He's close. He's close. Here's the deal. You may not have a father on earth to call out to, but you have the father in heaven to call out to. Never forget that. It's so simple. Take advantage of it. Now, let me say this because I know someone may be thinking it and it's important. Hang with me here, okay, while we're talking about mysteries. Technically, God is not a man. God is not male or female. The scripture is clear. God is spirit. He doesn't have gender like we understand gender today. Now, most of the time in the scriptures, the overwhelming majority of the time, when God is revealed to us, Old Testament and New Testament, he is revealed as father, and there's many reasons for that. We don't have time to get into now, but you need to understand this. God is more than a father to us. He's technically not a man. He's not, he's not a woman. He's not gender. It's just God is spirit, which frees God up to be whatever he needs to be, to meet whatever needs needs to be met. So yes, God is father. Hear me well. But if you read the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, you see many attributes of God, of a mother. And if you read the scriptures, you will see many attributes of God as a friend and as a brother and as a king and as a gardener and as a shepherd. Isn't that great? So maybe you're like, I, I can't, I, I'm short-circuiting here. I can't do the God, the, I, can't, I can't relate to God as Father very well. I want to, I need to, because I know he is our Heavenly Father, but I'm having trouble. Well, here's the deal, here's the deal. God will father you, and if you need him too, he will mother you. And when you need him too, he will brother to you and friend to you and garden in your heart and shepherd you as a wayward sheep. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And all of that is beautifully seen in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of all of that. Now, now here's the deal. It's hard for us to see that. It's hard for us to see that because pain and suffering get in the way. It's pain and suffering that bring us to the point of saying, I do feel like God has forgotten me. I do feel like God has abandoned me. I do feel like, because we just assume if God was close, then everything would be okay. If God was close, then everything would just be fine. I want to bring you back to something that we experienced in a series together probably a couple of years ago, but it's very important, so I want to come back to it. Know this, that the presence of pain is not the absence of God. 
And the presence of God is not the absence of pain. Now we see both of these in reality with Jesus on the cross. Is that Jesus was experiencing an, an unimaginable amount of pain. So much pain that it made him feel isolated. As a human being, he felt completely alone and set aside. Yet he knew his father was with him. So he cried out to him and said, this is what I'm feeling. But ultimately, I entrust myself to you. The presence of pain did not mean the absence of God for Jesus. God was very much involved at the cross, very much present. The same is true for you. Just because you have pain in your life doesn't mean God has gone packing. Doesn't mean God has gone anywhere. Maybe you assumed. Maybe you're going through some difficulties right now and you're going, what did I do wrong? Maybe, maybe I've done something so wrong that's made God leave me or abandon me or turn his back on me. No, 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 no. I mean, you may have done something stupid. We do that. But this does not mean that God's gone anywhere. In fact, God often comes running when his children do very human things. That's what a shepherd does, right? When the sheep wanders off, the shepherd goes and finds them. In fact, Jesus compared himself to a shepherd that was so focused on the one of you, the one of us, the one of me that wanders off, that he leaves the 99 and goes out and searches for the one who has wandered away because of pain, because of whatever, because of greener pastures. You, it doesn't, doesn't matter why we wander off. When we wander, the heart of the Father is, hey, I'm coming for you. Not because I'm mad, you dumb old sheep. Not because I'm ticked. But hey, hey, you're going to hurt yourself out here. You're going to, hey, you're, you're going to make it worse. Come back, come back, come back. Let's go. Come on, come on. What are you doing out here? Come on, I got something better for you. See, it's the heart of the Father. And yet I'm just telling you that it's great when God removes our negative situations. But as we saw last week, his primary agenda is to join us in it. Because the absence of God, no. Presence of God is not the absence of pain. Sometimes, even though God is very, very close to us, it doesn't mean we won't go through difficulties. We won't hurt. Because see, it's often, it's often the things that make us feel that God has forgotten us that are the things that help us discover just how close he is. So, have you felt like God's forgotten you? Do you feel like God has abandoned you? Well, you're not alone. God is not surprised, and he's not mad at you for thinking that or feeling that way. He understands. We talked about this last week. He knows we're human. He gets it. Just come to him. Come to him. Come to him. The thing that seems to scream his absence will help you discover the closeness of his presence. Come to him. Say, How? Well, just, just tell him. Just cry out to him. No magic words. No special prayer. Just say, God, I need you. Oh, Father. Father, I need your help on this one. I need your strength. I need peace. I need wisdom. I need guidance. Just tell him. Tell him. You say, well, what, what will God do? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But don't you want to find out? It could be that God fills you with strength and peace. It may be that upon your crying out for him, God goes to work in a way that you can see and he begins to change your situation. God does that sometimes, but here's the deal. Even when God doesn't change your situation, what he will do is he will go to work in your own heart and he will begin changing you and changing me and changing us. And that's the greater work anyway. So I don't know what God might do. I don't know how he's going to go to work, but he is very present. Just as when Jesus was on the cross, feeling alone and isolated, God was present and God was at work. God is present in your life and he is at work. He is your heavenly father. Come to him. Run to him. You say, well, I've done that. I've done that. Nothing changed. Yeah, but maybe he's changing you. He's working on you. So run to him again and again and again and again. It's what Jesus illustrated. It's what he wants us to do. He's close. He's close. Let's call out to him. very carefully to what I'm getting ready to tell you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where in your life you feel like God has forgotten you, but I want you to look, look at me and listen to me. 
you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it may not be what you wanted, what you thought, what you prayed, what you hoped, but you're going to be okay. Let's go to our Father together and call out to him together. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the glimpse into the vulnerability of Jesus on the cross as son, calling out to you as father. Thank you that we know that even when we feel isolated, we are not alone. You are very present and you are at work, even in the most painful, hard, difficult circumstances. And Father, I ask that you would help us just come to you. You welcome us to come to you again and again and again and again. You will not turn us away. You are not surprised. Your plan is not thrown off by anything we do or anything that happens to us. So may we just come to you and then you do for us what only you can do. We are your sons and daughters in Christ. We belong to you. You are our father. Thank you for being everything earthly dads could be and should be and infinitely more. May we know you're close and take full advantage of that. In Jesus' name, amen.